we never want to assume. We know who our child is, what it is that they're thinking, and what it is that they're aiming for, what their goal is, what the things they're trying to get out of, whatever the experience we're out of. Welcome to The Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now here's your host, Art Eddy. What's going on, everybody? Art Eddie here for another edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. I'm very happy to have this gentleman on. It's Pastor Kyle Meyer. He is the uh, lead pastor over at the Peak Church. We're going to be talking a lot about fatherhood, faith, and the difference of when I was growing up as a kid about faith and now families and if they're trying to find faith and how are they doing it. But thanks for taking the time to chat with me, Kyle. How are you doing, sir? So good. Thank you for the honor. It's such a such a joy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about spirituality, church, and where kind of faith and family is in is in the status of it is in today's world. But take me back when you found out you're going to be a dad. And if people follow you, uh, you know, follow the Peak Church, whether they're in person or on, on uh, the YouTube channel, you talk about family a lot. And I love the fact that you also try and keep, you know, you don't try and single one of your kids out. You'd be like, this child sometimes just slip up, but I love the fact that you're like, I'm not going to put the, you know, the, the spotlight on this kid if they kind of do something funny or weird, but I love the fact that you do that. But talk to me about when you found out you were going to be a dad, what was going through your mind, sir? Well, one quick thing on that. One of the things that we have to be very mindful of now is whenever you use your kids as analogies in your sermons, uh, one of the filters I have to run through all the time is so many, all of our sermons live online. They live on YouTube now. So would I be okay with them listening to me telling the story when they're 15, going to prom, going to high school, you name it. So um, we try to do that. Uh, we try to be very respectful of that, both my wife and I. But just saying though, too, like just in the dad blogging and mom blogging and podcast world, a lot of kids, like I've seen people like stop talking about me when I was in diapers. You had I had no idea you were doing this. And now people are like, hey, your dad talked to you about this. So you're well ahead of the game and you're thinking from, you know, a, a bigger perspective. So good job on you on that. But talk to me when you found out you were going to be a dad. What was going through mine, man? Well, we joke all the time that uh, Target knew we were pregnant before we did. And uh, what I mean by that is I will never forget the day before we found out we were pregnant. We're at Target, we're checking out, and Target, I don't know if Target used to, they used to do this, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they would spit out coupons based off of your recent shopping habits, sort of trying to predict what it is that you need. And I'll never forget, we were trying to get pregnant, so obviously this is a conversation in our household, we're preparing for this, and we're checking out, and all of the coupons, I kid you not, all five of them are formula, diapers, wipes, something like that, and we were like, well, okay, that's strange. That's weird. Um, and then sure enough, the next day we had just moved and we're packing or unpacking rather. And my wife is just so tired, so exhausted. Can't like, she's like unpacking a box and falls asleep on the floor. And I was like, maybe we should take a test. And so she does, we find out I'm absolutely floored. And uh, I don't know, being a dad, finding out that I was a dad was incredible. And it was also, I'm assuming there's a lot of people who can relate with us. We also got pregnant during what was probably the most stressful time in our lives. We had the most change. We've moved, got a new job, graduated from school, got pregnant all in the same month. And so it was kind of one of those things where I was absolutely excited. It was a huge, it's a huge dream of mine to become a dad and to have a family. And I was also low key, like sweet Lord, what the heck did I just get myself into? And who in the world uh, wouldn't trust me with a child so i'm gonna have to figure this out fast real real fast so awesome thank you very much for sharing that i was almost gonna ask you like did you buy like did you guys buy maybe your wife bought a pregnancy test at target and they were like well here here are the coupons just in case <laughs> but it's probably not the case though right that was probably just like you said target kind of yeah. knew it was like hey guess what guys <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're you're welcome we'll help you prepare a little bit yeah we didn't we didn't buy like I, I mean, we bought pregnancy tests, but I don't think we bought them from there. But it was just, yeah. I think, just picking up on like the overall suburban vibe. They were like, "You, uh, you, you, you guys are buying. You are our, you are our target customer, and so we know what you're doing, and we know uh, what's next for you. So here you go. We're going to prep you well. So no doubt, it's, it's all right." right. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the values that you and your wife are looking to instill into your kids as they're growing up. So. I think 
the values that we're trying to instill in them are born out of the very values we're trying to implement with them now. So what I mean by that is one of the things that we hope and pray that our kids are in the world is we hope they're empathetic. We really want them to be people who feel what other people feel, whether they've had the exact experience of that person or not. And so as any parent knows, you can talk about empathy all the time. You can tell your kids, be empathetic, feel what your other friends are feeling, get to know when your other person, when a friend is suffering or scared or lonely, feel for them. You can say it to your blue in the face, but it's when you truly embody it for them and with them that that actually starts to take root. And so one of the things that my wife and I committed to early on is we said, okay, we never want to assume we know who our child is, what it is that they're thinking, and what it is that they're aiming for, what their goal is, what the things they're trying to get out of, whatever the experience we're out of. And so we talk all the time about how we want to be parents who are always parenting from our child's point of view. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. Sometimes I know I, I, I can connect with my child. I can be like, man, I know, I remember what it was like to be, you know, eight and, you know, wanting to have this experience at school or with friends or whatever. And there's other times where it takes a tremendous amount of work. My wife and I say all the time, there are moments when we're like, oh my gosh, I can see myself in my child. And then there are moments when our children feel like strangers, like we have never known who they are. And that's actually, there's not, that doesn't make us bad parents. That just makes us human. Like one of the, so I'm a pastor and I, so I pray for my kids every single day. And one of the ways in which I pray for my kids every single day, as I say this, I say, God, please reveal to me who my child is. Please don't allow me to assume, oh, well, they said this, so they must be like me. Or, oh, they do this, so they must be like their mom. I want to constantly be trying to figure out what is their point of view? How do they see the world? Because that is the best way to reach them. My favorite coaches, I'm a soccer player. I played soccer all growing up. My best coach, by, could, he, could, he knew how to coach the team and the player. Now, right. some of your sports friends know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. They know how to coach the team. They know how to speak to the team. How do I motivate the team? And they also know that every single player on the team is motivated differently. They need to be coached differently. You could scream and rip into one guy and he's going to go play amazing. You do that to another player and he caves on you and he has the worst game of his entire career. Yep. And so similarly, we try to parent the same way. We try to say, okay, there's values. There's things that we're going to do as a Meyer family. But there's also things that work for my daughter that don't work for my son and vice versa. And so I think that's, we want our children to be empathetic. We want them to feel for other people and to meet other people where they are. I think that's how we're actually trying to raise kids to make a difference in the world is they actually have to know the needs they're trying to fix and know their neighbors they're trying to love, not just sort of like love your neighbor in a general sense. And we have to do that through embodying it with them. Um, I think another thing that we try to do with our, our kiddos all the time is we just try to like, we work really, really hard about increasing in them self-awareness. I think we are, we are of the opinion that love, kindness, generosity, all these wonderful things that I hope my kids are in the world. It stems from their understanding of themselves and how they see themselves and how they work through their own emotions. And so that's one of the things that we try really hard to do with them. And again, how we try to do that is we try to imitate for them. For them. So we talk all the time, uh, very honestly. We have, a very, we have a very confession-friendly atmosphere in our home. So if I make a mistake, I need to be the one that owns it. I need to be like, yo, daddy made a mistake. Daddy said this and didn't mean it. Daddy did this too fast. and I'm sorry. Um, I was feeling this. I was feeling stressed. I was feeling scared. I was feeling this. And so we're trying to model for them what it looks like to have a high self-awareness, high uh, emotional intelligence. But we're also like in doing those things, hopefully it's making them better humans because they're able to take better stock of what they're feeling, what they're going through, and they're not projecting on everyone else. Can you imagine what kind of world we would live in if there were le if there were less people walking around projecting their anger, their frustration out on everyone else, especially post COVID. It just feels like there's a lot of people with a lot of axes to grind and they feel like it's, and so we, our hope is not to raise bitter and resentful humans. And so 
That's hard. That's hard. You got to be honest and you got to model it for them and you got to own it and it stinks. Um, but it's also the only pathway I know. Maybe there's other pathways. It's the only pathway I know out there to help my kids actually work through the things that they're dealing with. And they're not those things, those issues don't end up becoming, you know, addiction issues. They don't become relational issues. Now they're going to have some of those, but if they can, if we can give them tools to work through them early, uh, our hope is that it sets them up to be better off in life. So no doubt. Great, great insight. And, and thank you for sharing that. And I think you, there's a lot of things you that I kind of want to touch upon. One of the things too, is just honesty. I think now more than ever, the generation that we're raising kids in, they got a tablet, they got a phone and heck, even in school they're you know, they, they don't do stuff on like paper and pen anymore. I guess it's good for the environment, but like they could look up anything at a drop of a hat. I had to go to like a library and do like a book report on Abraham Lincoln. Or at the time when I was super young, people would come around and sell uh, encyclopedias. <laughs> it was just like, you get your information from there. And my wife and I are always like, we need to make sure, uh, I, I stress like the honesty thing too. Well, we both do, but I'm like, I want them to know that we're totally honest because we always tell them they have to be honest with us. But all of a sudden, if we slip up, I'm like, hey, you said this, but you guys were actually doing this. And we saw it like, you know, whatever it is, they can catch you out and they're like, well, why am I going to trust you if you're not going to trust me, right? So honesty, I think is is super huge. Something that dawned on me while you were talking about seeing it from their perspective and trying to raise them. It's funny, and you probably get this too. Both sets of your families where you you know grew up in, they will say like, oh, so-and-so looks more like you or so-and-so. No, no. Then the same child, they'll look at like someone else from a different part of the family. Like, no, they look like your wife. And you're like, how can you, how can you say that? Because everyone says, you know, my oldest looks like me. And I see that and my oldest, my youngest looks like my wife. But then again, it's just the idea what you were saying earlier about how people perceive things differently and how you should try and look at what that person's going through, especially your kid. It just kind of dawned on me, like, that's where maybe some people say like, oh, their oldest looks like their dad, but yet, no, I, and then someone else like, no, I totally think that their oldest looks like their mom. I know it's kind of a weird analogy, but it's just the idea of you can be set in your ways, have the blinders on as a parent being like this, you know, this child's going to be like this and this is going to be like this, but other people that are close to you see it differently. Right. Well, and you think about it, think about it from like every single parent who's listening to this, they know that one of the biggest struggles we have is the struggle for control control like it's it's the old adage of like when you give birth to a child it is like your heart is walking around outside your body we've heard that quote before and so from the moment they enter in the world we're just desperately desperately searching for ways in which to re regain the sense of control and deep 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 down it's actually the reason for that is actually quite beautiful it's because we love this little freaking human so much that anything that happens to them, it happens to us. We are now forever eternally connected to their pain, their suffering, and their happiness and their joy. And so it's a, actually an act of, if you think of it this way, we're desperately looking to control our children because that's the best way to save ourselves, to preserve ourselves from some form of suffering, some form of fear. And so it's hard, it's so hard to allow them to make decisions, make mistakes, fumble the ball, and you know, kind of completely make a mess of things. And so part, again, to your point, part of our strategy for that is if I can just lock them into this box, if I can just lock them into this understanding of this is who they are, then I don't have to expose myself to the possibility that maybe just maybe I don't have control over this child and who they are and who they're becoming and where they're going in life. I'm just going to, for better or for worse, I'm going to treat them as if they are blank. I've got them figured out. They are blank. And I'm going to coach them and I'm going to lead them in that way. And quite frankly, not only does that make for the worst parents, that makes for the worst pastors, that makes for the worst boss, that makes for the worst friend. No, just think, no, anyone listening to this, they know it's miserable to be around people, to work for somebody who only sees the industry in the same exact way. They've only seen it in one, they, they were never open to learning, never open a new perspective, never open to evolving with the organization or the industry. And as a result of that, they kill the company, they stifle the company, they slow the company, they lose a lot of really good people. And as parents, we do the same thing. Anytime I treat my kid according to some version I think they are, or another bad thing we do is we 
not bad. It's, it's common. We all do this, but I treat them according to an earlier version of themselves, almost like a software update on my phone. Like so there's people, let's listen, walk around. Let's like, some of y'all are walking around with like iPhone six. Like we need to move on. Like we need to move on. <laughs> and we do the same thing in parenting though. We'll, we'll, we'll do, especially at some of those pivotal switches when they move to preteen or they move to high school. We again, desperately don't want to lose control. And so what do we do? We treat our 14 year old like they're the eight year old version of themselves. That last time we felt really connected to them. Like we felt like we really understood them and they're over there. They're feeling stifled. They're feeling like, again, back to what you were saying earlier, I don't really trust my dad or trust my mom because they're not actually interested in dealing with me. They're only interested in loving and dealing with an earlier version of me. And so then you hurt the relationship too and you lose credibility. That old iPhone uh, analogy is so good because there are certain apps or certain things you can't update on that phone and your phone, you outgrow your phone, right? Just like your kids will outgrow, like you said, like if they're a teenager, treating them like an eight, uh, you know, an eight-year-old is not going, like they, there's no apps that can, you know, do that. So I love that. That's fantastic. I've got an iMac right now at my house. That's like 15 years old and I'll try to pull up Slack and other things for work. And it's like, will not compute, does not understand. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we look like though. That's exactly what we look like when we try to parent outdated versions of our kiddos. Love it. Um, Talk about something that you, your kids have taught you either about yourself or about life that you didn't know was there until you became a dad. There's this book uh, we read uh, before we had kids. It's a book called Sacred Parenting. It's actually a spinoff from another book that we read before we got married called Sacred Marriage. And the line of the book that he keeps coming back to says um, the chief design. So again, I'm a pastor. And so I'm thinking in spiritual terms often with life. And so uh, this, the author is coming from that same worldview. And he says this, he says uh, one of the primary jobs of your kids in your life, your job is to enjoy them. And their job is to make you a holier and holier and holier person. That's the role they can have in your life, that they could be a means of the verbiage we use in church circles is grace. They could be a means of grace, a means of change, positive change in your life, if you let them, if you let them. Now, here's the thing. They can also be uh, the various source of, they expose you to things. They ex- So that same book he talks about, he says sometimes, so what I mean by that is your children will be like a mirror oftentimes in your life that will reveal things to you about yourself that you didn't otherwise know or that you wanted to know. And I like that idea that children are like a mirror into the state of my heart, the state of my mind, the state of my soul. They reveal the places where I've got anger issues, where I've got controlling issues, where I am selfish, where I am greedy. They reveal these things just by their very existence. They reveal these things back to me. And I've got two choices, two choices. And everybody listen, you got two choices when this happens. You can either become more hardened by that realization and say, no, I'm not selfish. No, I'm, I don't have an anger problem as you're screaming across the kitchen. I don't have any of these things. Or again, God can use your the the existence of your child to reveal things to you places where you need work and you need to improve and so uh i would say there is no shortage of examples of places where i feel like just my child's exist my children's existence has grown me pushed me it has helped me realize things i didn't otherwise learn and didn't otherwise want to know or i avoided all along i think Another, I think a big one of those was just sort of like what so many parents encounter every day, which is this sort of like, how do you, how are you going to deal with the fact that you can either approach the world and constantly be, so what I like to say is shooting on the world. Um, and you got to say it very, um, you got to say it very slow. And you got to over pronunciate it when you say <laughs> But some people do. So one of the biggest lessons my kids taught me is you can you can approach the world in one of two ways. You can approach the world in a with a should mindset. Oh, it my boss should do this. Work should look like this. Politics should function like government should function like this. Or you can do that your whole life. 
or you can take the world as it is and you can learn to practice acceptance. You can learn to practice grace. You can learn to practice courage to show up when things aren't as they should be. Are you going to be courageously approaching those situations, speaking the truth in love and in grace, but speaking truth to make this world a better place? And I think that is, you, you learn that from day one with your kids. You can You can parent your kids the rest of your life with that should mindset and you can should all over them. By the way, I love that uh, one of the few pastors you have on here is talking about shooting all over the place, but um, <laughs> you can, you can do that to them. You can do that to them. Uh, yeah. and, and you can, you can create in them an expectation that you will no longer, you will not accept them fully, truly love, love them fully, unless they conform to this version of who they should have been. Or you can every single day say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's that picture of is it's there, it's fine, but I want to take this kid as they are. I want to know them as they are and help them become the very version of themselves they're supposed they that they're supposed to be, not who I think they should be. So there's a million examples, but the big one that sort of approach that has changed my approach to the world, to life, is that whole idea of like shoulding and expectations and what expectations do I have of other people? Where do those come from? And does that have anything to do? do with them or the world or does that have anything to do with me yeah. and my unresolved stuff that I got to work through that that's great insight and I really appreciate that before I get into like a dad hack or piece of advice two things I just kind of want to piggyback on there one you and your team are right now where you guys are doing a really great series of sermon series about like incorporating the lessons of Disney and to the Bible and Jesus and one of the things you said about like, I'm not angry as you're yelling. Right. And sometimes you have those moments, like, why am I getting upset that they left a fork in the, you know, in the uh, sink instead of putting in a dishwasher. I'm like, I, this is, this is petty. I don't even know why, but you kind of keep going. Right. A Disney movie that I just kind of thought about was monsters Inc. When Sully is screaming, he didn't know boo was there and she gets all nervous and runs out of the thing. He's like, why? Like, it's me, it's me. And then he sees the tape of her reacting to him being angry. And I think that's like a pivotal moment, especially just like what you said, like you think like you're, you're doing this out of love and care, even though you're going to put like the, the should away. Right. And so I think sometimes we need to like not have a reality show of our family, but like when a, a spouse or another child or someone, our friends be like, Hey, why are you being so angry? You should have that sully moment of like, Oh, I look like a monster when I was yelling to like this toddler, even as they get older, if you know, they still see you as this giant of a parent sometimes. And the other thing, just kind of go with another movie thing. And I've said this in the past where, especially when I bring on like athletes and they talk about things where they're not trying to push their kid into football or whatever, but it's like that one James Vanderbeek line in uh, varsity blues. I don't want your life. Like his dad was like, you got to be the quarterback. You got to be. And it was his time to step up. But, you know, as a kid in high school, seeing all these things that, um, you know, the coach was doing and everything was like, this is insane. Like, teenagers are taking cop cars and they're fine doing whatever like we shouldn't be doing this so you know the idea of like i don't want your life is like sometimes we project what we want in our lives and we sometimes don't see that so just i, I know you get a kick out of that just because of the whole disney thing and then movies and all that but i just want to say like yeah like the should a thing is like yeah you should kind of watch that um dad hack or piece of advice for new dads or any dad like i feel like I used to say like for just for new dads, but I feel like if there's something that you can share to all parents, it's great. So it doesn't have to be like if you're big, you know, if you're you're a you know a parent of a baby or a toddler, but anything you want to offer, dad hack or piece of advice to to dads just or parents in general, what would it be? I think the thing that would make the absolute biggest difference in the life of your family and the life of your kids is being hyper diligent and doing your own work. So, um, I mean, Art, you know this, but one of the things that, one of the stigmas that we try so, so hard to remove at our church, and the church has got a lot of work to do on this topic, is the stigma around mental health. And the reality is this, the re reality is that so many of my parenting failures, and I've got a list of them, came from my inability or my unwillingness to work through something actually going on in me. So as we were just talking about a moment ago, the scene from Monsters Inc. when he sees himself screaming at the child. So often, it's it's not the thing. It's the thing behind the thing. 
right? So like I'm yelling at my kid. That's not actually what's going on. There's a thing behind the thing. There's I'm I'm going through a season of depression because of all the things going on in my life. Um, I'm going through a lot of anxiety because I've got all these deadlines at work and I'm just like crumbling under the pressure. I can't verbalize that to my boss and I can't, I don't, I don't want to show that in front of my colleagues. And so who do I show it in front of the people I'm supposed to love and trust most? And so I'm just, my, my dad hack is that if someone is uh, becoming a dad soon and maybe, you know, maybe this this advice I think is sometimes received or not received well based off of what environment you were raised in, how mental health was discussed in your home. But the reality is this, like I, I want, I desperately, I'm playing a long game. I'm playing a long game. I desperately want my kids to look up to me, to respect me, to speak, to speak with admiration and love and joy when they think of me. I don't want them sitting in a therapist. My kids will most likely already have to sit in a therapist office for something. I just don't want to be the sole reason why they're <laughs> I'm okay being one of the reasons. I just don't want to be the sole reason they're there. And I don't want them to have conversations with their therapist where they're like, yeah, um, my dad caused all of these wounds and he had no idea. He had no idea. Now, I know I've got things that I'm working on, Um but I, that would that would break my heart in half to realize that my kids had all these pervasive issues and they stemmed from me and they stemmed from my unwillingness. And I'll go a step further, uh, my my unwillingness and just like my cowardice to just own up to the fact that I got these rallies going on. I don't care who you are, who's listening to this. Every single one of us have some version of trauma, grief, depression, anxiety. And if you... If you've got a kidney issue and you go see the doctor for that, then why do we not do the same with the organ that lives above our shoulders? Like you're not walking around going, yeah, just it's fine. Like I've got a lot of issues in the, like my abdomen region, but it's fine. Like if you wouldn't do that with your physical health, why do we do this with our mental health? And so anyway, that's a big thing that I try to sort of, anytime I'm ever given an opportunity to speak on it, even especially in religious settings, We've just got to remove that taboo topic. We've got to remove that stigma because as it pertains to this conversation, there are so many innocent, beautiful kids out there on the receiving end of their dad's anger, frustration, and venting. And, and as a result of that, they're being permanently damaged because we're unwilling to actually say, you know what? I'm going to be, I want to be the man my kids deserve and go take care of my own stuff. That's the best gift you could offer your kids is a healthy self. <laughs> it's like, that's the best gift. It's like, what do you mean? Like, but like presence and money and like quality time. Sure. Those are all wonderful. The absolute best gift that I can give to my kids is a healthy me. It's a healthy dad. So. 100%. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that is so true. And then as you get older, like for my birthday slash Father's Day, my I, my wife's like, "What do you want?" I'm like, "Combine it. We're just gonna finish our will. We've been trying to do this for like 15 years." It was like, <laughs> right? And like the 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 lawyer that was working with us, she's like, "That's a good." I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I don't. I, I as you can tell, I collect a lot of stuff. Some of the stuff I get for free, whatever. But like, I I don't need anything. I just want to get this done. And like the things you care about, like for Valentine's Day, I reorganized my uh, our pantry. I went to the container store in Walmart and she was in love with it. And it wasn't like flowers, chocolates, anything. It's funny as you get older, like what you prioritize. And, yeah. and I think in the church and like in just men in general, like mental health is kind of a taboo subject. So I appreciate you talking about that at church. And then also too, you know, we try and talk about this here on this podcast. And yeah, I mean, you want to make sure that you can tell your kids like, you know, I need to, I need to sort things out and I need you to talk to me about how, how, you know, you react to what I said or whatever, because again, not that you guys are going to be best friends. Cause I think there is that parenting kid relationship where it's not on even plane, but you don't want to be like, you know, uh, a, a dictator being like, you do everything, but you want to have like a household full of love, but you want to make sure like, you know, just tell me how I can be better. So I, I totally love that. Um, and owning when it and owning when it doesn't happen. So like just this past week, I lost my temper with my child. And after some space, I had to go up to them and I had to say, so a moment ago, daddy uh, raised his voice, didn't he? So I need you to know something. 
that was not because of you. You did nothing wrong. That's because I've actually got a lot of stuff going on in my job. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of things I need to do. And it made me really stressed. And it made me really, really like a little bit of afraid. And when I, when I was feeling those things, that's what caused me to do that. And so daddy's very sorry. Daddy's going to take care of daddy, but I want you to know that that was not your fault. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try really hard to not do that again. So now I've modeled for them what I hope they can start that inner reflection, that introspection, they can start to practice on themselves. And they also can very clearly now flush out the stuff. Hopefully, hopefully they can flush out the stuff that they're carrying around that maybe is causing guilt or anxiety in them because they feel like I let daddy down. It's like, no, you did nothing. Yeah. That was daddy's fault. That's daddy's fault. So and if you can raise your kids to understand, like even adults mess up and they should apologize. And like you said earlier, like what a great world this would be if we all had that mentality and been like, look, I'm sorry. People Gosh. people need to stop behind it behind a keyboard and being a keyboard gangster and just saying saying things that they're not gonna like meet this person in real life. Um, another thing too, though, just about like how you're kind of drawing it to mental health. Like if you're taking care of your body, you were talking a couple of weekends ago about your appendix and like, Hey, if you felt something like, what are you doing? This, this will always be a life lesson for me and my family. My appendix burst and not to get too graphic, but it burst to the point where they needed to take out some of my intestine. And this was all a life, like, and everything just went haywire. And there were certain things I felt like I was my my family and I were being tested on, but like I remember going for a run and I felt something pop. I'm like, ah, I should be fine. And I remember taking like Alka Seltzer, like even pushing like on my stomach, being like, this is fine. And my wife's yeah. like, you have to go. And like it just went to the stages of like just my primary, and it just kept on going. Like, yeah, don't eat anything. All these other stuff. If I actually started paying attention and if I actually started caring about that, maybe my appendix wouldn't burst. So, I, if when you were talking about that a couple weekends ago, my, when my family all looked at each other and they were like, so that'll always stay in my household being like, this is why you need to take care of yourself. So just want to say oh we gosh. appreciated that. Yes. <laughs> um, for me growing up, I, you know, I grew up, my, my parents were Catholic. I was Eucharistic minister. I was an altar server, went to Catholic church. One time our high school teacher really knew, kind of knew me because he was talking about the, um, the correlation between Star Wars and religion in the Bible. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was like A and B, A and B grade student. But like when he brought like that, I was like, this is exciting. You can talk about this. So all of these things under, you know, growing up in a Catholic household, my wife was Catholic as well. And we started, you know, as our kids started getting older and as we started looking at our family and friends under the different groups of people that sometimes felt like they were outcasted, right? And mm -hmm. we saw you, we saw you guys as church uh, at this at a pride event, and we we're like, this is cool. You had Jesus's inclusive shirts, and that's how we felt. There's this meme where Jesus, you know, there's pictures of Jesus uh, uh, you know, doing the Sermon on the Mount or giving the Beatitudes. And, you know, he's like, you know, love everyone. And you're like, what about black people? Love everybody. What about gay people? Love everybody. And he's like, what? Like, he's like, just love everyone. That's, uh, that's all you need to do. Right. And like, there are a lot of memes out there, but for me, religious wise, that one stuck with me. And you guys at the Peak Church have that idea of including everyone. Talk about your mindset and your team's mindset about making sure that you kind of have the idea that Jesus is like, Hey, let's bring everybody together. Cause that's what he was kind of thinking about when you kind of break it down and make it as simple as it possibly can. My family and I, and I know other people appreciate what you're doing, but just talk about how you approach Jesus's message at the peak church. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things that I really struggled with and really wrestled with once I first sensed a call to ministry was this very tension, this very tension of, man, does it, it feels like in so many religious settings, I either have to be faithful to God or faithful to this person that I love that I've been told God doesn't approve of, God doesn't accept. And I think at the core for me, one of the things that I struggled with and I wrestled with a lot before ever even entering into ministry was this reality that as I looked at along, as I looked at a lot of the churches that exist today, a really interesting question came to mind, which was, do these churches look like the pockets of community that Jesus created? Remember, those were, they were full of ragtag folks, folks who were homeless, folks who were poor, folks who were diseased, folks who were outcasts, folks who were marginalized. So do this, does a church today look like pockets and communities of people like that? 
Or does it look like the pockets of people who opposed Jesus during his ministry, who were constantly mad at Jesus because Jesus was breaking all the rules? Jesus was bre- So if you recall, Jesus in the Gospels, he breaks the rule of uh, resting on the Sabbath to care for someone in need of healing. And that is a really interesting sort of analogy to sort of to place on top of the church today that at the core, at the core is our God, is the God that we talk about and preach about and worship, whoever that God is for you. Uh, Is it a God that is hell bent on rules or uh, hell bent on relationship? Now, there are rules to relationship that that they make help make relationships healthy and all those various things. But it felt to me, especially going in, like coming out of divinity school and going into local church ministry, it felt like the church today existed almost solely for the rules. And to me, when we launched this church and we wanted to be a church that was fully inclusive of all people, for some, I understand, some feel like oh, I had to water down some of my beliefs in order to truly be a fully inclusive Christian or religious person. So for us, I've been wrestling with this topic. I've been wrestling with this conversation for well over 10 years. When I first came to faith, I actually held a more traditional view. I just sort of said, well, the Bible seems to say this. And so I'm just going to sort of stick with that because that seems safer of the two options. But the longer and longer I started doing this work, the more and more I started to wrestle with the fact that, number one, uh, those places in the Bible that seem to be, for some, black and white, you can't be inclusive of all people, especially people who are LGBTQ, um, they're actually not as black and white as you think they are. And what it takes is to study the, but to, to take the Bible so seriously that you're willing to study and interrogate it in context and to know the history and the culture and the arc of the biblical story. There's so many things in the Old Testament that we don't abide by anymore because Jesus showed up and gave us the clearest picture of God that we've ever seen. Mind you, Jesus also never spoke a single time about anyone who we would understand to be in the LGBTQ community. So if it mattered that much to God, you would think that when God God actually had 33 years to hang out with us, he'd be like, yo, I got some things to make sure because I got limited time. And so I want to make sure that y'all get this. So I want to make sure I include that particular topic in one of his addresses. Not a single time, not a single time. And so I would say to anyone who's like, like sitting there and you're, you're connecting and you're resonating with this. And this has been your struggle with church for so long. I will say you're not alone. You're not alone. And quite frankly, I would also say that there's a group of Christians out there. They're a lot more scattered than they are gathered because they themselves have been marginalized and kicked out of churches themselves. I have a story for that myself, but there's more people out there than you think there are. And number two, it doesn't make you a watered down or like diet Christian to love, want to include all people. It actually, if you if you take the Christian faith seriously enough to really interrogate it, to study it, to really gras- grapple with and wrestle with the scriptures, you'll actually find that at the core, we have a God. We have a God. We've always had a God this way. We've always had a God that when pressed would rather be found too generous with grace, too welcoming, too hospitable than not welcoming, not inclusive enough. I don't know about you, but when I reach the life to come, I'd rather err on that side. I'd rather Jesus pull me aside and say, hey, we could have had like a couple of bodyguards or something. Like, I think like, just like, I mean, like, I would rather Jesus reprimand me for being too compassionate, too (laughs) welcoming, too inclusive, than pull me aside and say, how dare you? Yeah. Serious about this. I'm serious about it. Like, I, I refuse to stand before Jesus and have Jesus say to me the same things he said to the religious leaders back in the gospels. How dare you? deny someone access to me, access to love, access to mercy, access to grace, when you are no better than them. Like you had no right, no right. And so I think on the topic of inclusion, um, that's a little bit of our church's heartbeat. That's a little bit of my heartbeat and my own sort of story and journey and wrestling with this. I have beautiful, wonderful family members who came out to me along the way and were so gracious with me and gave me the space to wrestle and now uh, we have a church that is fully openly inclusive and every single month we're, we're, we're welcoming one or two LGBTQ people or couples who have no other option 
uh, as it relates to church. No other option for a, to, for a safe space to re-engage faith with their whole selves, their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, there's plenty of Christians out there that have to live in these, you know, churches that say, you know, we'll talk about all the other stuff, but just don't talk about that. That that part we're not going to accept. And it's actually that part that you're not allowed to serve or be fully involved here. But, you know, we just won't talk about that, but just don't ask us to approve of it. And so I think that's also what gets me out of bed in the morning is that there's just not only a group of people out there who are desperately looking for a place to re-engage faith, but there's also allies, friends, family members, coworkers, people who love their uncle, their friend, their sibling, their child, back to this whole conversation. Yeah. And they refuse to choose. And in fact, they are choosing. They are choosing. More and more people are leaving the church now than ever in America, in the in the history of American Christianity. And this applies across the board. This is not just mainline churches. This is an evangelical church as well. People are leaving more than they're coming in. And a really big part of that is, and some, some people say, well, it's way too overly simplistic to say it's just because of the LGBTQ issue. And in some sense, sure, that's that a little bit overly simplistic. But it, what that issue signifies is the church's approach to the world. And is that is the church's approaches to the world going to be, this is an exclusive club for only people who think, believe, vote the right way? Or is this a bunch of just messy individuals who are desperately in need of grace, who maybe just maybe by the miracle of community with one another, we can challenge one another, we can push one another, and we can enhance our relationship with God and the world together. And because options for the latter are becoming less and less, the church as a result of that is also becoming less and less. Yeah, we're going to talk about it in, in, in a second. I, I really appreciate you kind of sharing your thoughts and just you and the peaks just embracing of everybody, not just LGBTQ, but just everyone. And so I, I thank you for that. But like, I just think of that one scene in the West Wing where, you know, um, Jed Bartlett comes in. And favorite Bartlett, show. This is my favorite show. And he just comes in and starts talking about how one of the reporters, she was upset because how he embraced the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. And he's like, all right, you want to do this? And he just goes on all these different, like, you know, especially Old Testament verses about like, looks like I have to sell my my daughter into slavery. It looks like I have to have do this and this if we're going, you know, word by word. And then in, in another thing too, if people listening to this, if they go to uh, your site, thepeakchurch.org, and of course we'll put up links here at theartoffatherhood.net, but like, you have a great ser uh, sermon uh, series about the, what would Jesus say about the LGBTQ community. And you mentioned earlier about getting under stuff about context and like deep diving. I feel now everyone during the pandemic became a doctor. Now everybody knows exactly what voting machines should and shouldn't do because they read something on Twitter or a quick on Instagram or someone that they love at Thanksgiving told them this is how voting booths work. And like we don't take the time to actually understand the context, what was going on. You break it down so beautifully in that sermon series about what Jesus would have thought then and obviously probably now too. But so for people listening to this and just all of a sudden like, nope, Kyle, not wrong. This is this is bad. Take a moment, just go on your iPad in the corner of a house where no one's there and you can just take a look at that sermon series. Happened last year um in, in june and i just uh, 2022 just take a look at it because i thought the education that you put in there was amazing and it's almost like when not that you were looking to win an argument you were just looking to share what was going on back then and some bible verses and again for someone who grew up catholic and read the bible and this and that had you know sunday school if i went to a public school throughout my you know years of uh, education i'd be like I didn't know that. So you opened myself to a lot of things too. So I appreciate that. And I see a lot of people just back out of the church, not just for not being inclusive, but other headlines that are going in different negative headlines that are happening in churches. Everyone's just kind of like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going like, okay. I've always told my daughters, like, I don't want you to feel like you have to do exactly what mom and I do and what we believe, but I feel like you should believe in something. I think you should believe in something my wife and I say, we want you to believe in something higher than yourself because it'll kind of be a moral compass. It'll help you out and you'll see something bigger than yourself. And ultimately, hopefully that will go into your actions when you get into this world on your own. I feel like spirituality right now is, is 
people are lacking that. I'm not saying they you know have to go to become a Christian, but I'm saying like they need to find something. So for you, the state of faith and spirituality when we were growing up, I'm in my 40s to now, I think is a totally different landscape. How do you see families, you know, connecting to spirituality right now? And what are some tips that you would give for people listening to this? And it's like, you know what? Maybe I was looking at it at a different angle. Maybe I can look at a different angle. Maybe my family and I can bond over going to a service or going, learning, like getting into this religion because that will bond you guys stronger. Because once you guys have things in common, even the older that they get, and sometimes they won't play with Legos anymore with you or action figures, or they want to see this like movie with you, but there's other things you can bond with your kids. I feel like having a strong spirituality in your family will like keep those bonds strong talk a little bit about the state of spirituality and faith in families right now and then also some tips that you can like that you have seen that has not just worked for your family but other families as well yeah i mean i think the state of the church is a tricky one it's a tough one and in many ways uh covid i say this often and covid the pandemic didn't cause many of the things that i'm about to talk about it just accelerated many of them right so church decline and family participation in church, that decline has been happening pretty steadily for at least the last 20 years or so. And COVID just accelerated that. It accelerated that. And one of the reasons why was because of what we just talked about. We, we did because like a lot of people have left church because, number one, they're tired of going to a church where that does not align with it doesn't paint a picture of God that they actually believe to be true, that they believe to be accurate. And so they got really tired of lying to themselves and going to church every time and being like, oh, I guess I'm not allowed to believe in science for the next hour. So, and people got tired of doing that. People got tired of doing that. They got tired of hanging out in churches that uh, didn't allow them to bring in difficult conversations and push back on the hypocrisy. They got tired of that. And so they just when COVID was a really beautiful, convenient excuse to be like, okay, I'm just not going to do it anymore because I'm tired of choosing between my like my integrity and whether or not I'm going to go to church. I think the second reason why many families are not engaging in church today is because quite frankly, they just don't find it useful. Like they show up and they're just like, I don't really know what value add this is to my life. Um, and I would push back on that somewhat. Like I think there are many things that exist in church uh, that are very, very good for a, a family. But I think this is this is less advice for families is more advice for pastors and churches, which I'm not sure how many of those people are listening, but it's this it's like the for the pastors out there, I think the onus is on us to be rigorously interrogating all of the ways in which we have done church in the past and say what is working, what has worked, what ain't working, and how do we make sure that we evolve to this new landscape we find ourselves in? Otherwise, we're going to get left behind. Otherwise, there's going to be this massive exit. Uh, and it's because so much of churches have done the same strategies, the same fellowship dinners. Like, And I'm not, you know, I'd love a good fellowship dinner with a broccoli casserole. Like, I'm all about that. But I'm just <laughs> like, so often when you step inside church, it is a nostalgia factory as opposed to a place that actually is supposed to change your life. And so um, to those people who don't want to hang out in those types of churches anymore, I don't actually have any advice for you. I would say good, good. Like those actually, because I actually don't think those are the places where, I think those are the places where Jesus is desperately trying to shake them and do something new. I think thirdly, I think like the other reason why uh, a lot of people are leaving churches because, I mean, good Lord, if you watch any of the documentaries lately on Mars Hill or on Hillsong that was on FX recently. So we, my family and I just, or not my family, my wife and I just watched it. It's just riddled with so much hypocrisy uh, in the top down in the hierarchy of churches and the duplicitousness of within church of pastors and church leaders getting up on stage and preaching one message, preaching one lifestyle. And then you find out later on that they're living a very, very different one. And we've got a lot of institutions like that that are in crisis. And so a lot of the, a lot of people are just saying, you know what, I'd rather just not be found a fool. And so I'm just not going to even try because I'd rather not, you know, put my hope and trust in this, this, this awesome woman preacher, this awesome guy preacher, this awesome church that has such beautiful ministries all to find out that it was hollow on the inside. And so it's rather, it's just safer, it's just safer to not do anything at all. 
So I guess like if I'm offering advice, I'm, if I'm offering advice, I'm saying that number one, um, find my biggest piece of advice to any of my college friends who have stopped going to church and are now trying to re-engage. I feel like the, back to this whole, I mean, the fatherhood does that for a lot of dudes. Like they're, they become a dad and they're like, I want to, I want to, I want to raise my kids in a place where there's values and there's, you know, you know, good, good, you know, a, a care and a concern for their neighbor and church seems like the best game in town for that. Where do I start? My biggest piece of advice for them is search like crazy for communities that are honest, that are honest. That is probably the most important value that we try to live into here at our church. And when I say honesty, I mean, in two ways, we try really hard to practice honesty from the stage. So uh, very rarely will you hear me get up and talk about a topic and say, and this is how I'm just crushing it and doing so well. Listen to all of my wonderful tales of how amazing I am. The only stories I tell are the ones where I fumbled it, where I screwed it up. And the reason for which is because I don't want for a second to create the assumption that I have it all together. I actually want you every single week to be in my presence and to feel no version of intimidation because you're like, actually, dude, I feel a little bit better than you because at least I don't do uh, what you did uh, or say what you said. Um, if Christian leaders can actually do that more often, you're actually going to create a lot more. And it needs to be, don't, don't, it's not disingenuine, like uh, authenticity. Yeah. It needs to be, but I think like that, my biggest advice is like find churches that are honest uh, because then often what it roots out two things, they'll be, tr they'll be honest about their values and they'll also be honest about failings and mistakes that they make as a church. The church is made up of humans. And so they make mistakes. And so uh, I want to be a part of churches and I want to be led by churches, at least me, that are willing to own that and then take take stock and move forward with honesty and integrity and transparency. So my biggest advice is like find communities that are honest, find communities that are honest um, and find communities that uh, have a, a spirit of innovation. They're asking new questions. They're doing new things. They're trying to be a church for 2023 and beyond, not a church trying to relive the glory golden days of 1973. That when that's when their church was growing, that's when their church was full. And so we're like, well, if we just keep doing the things we were doing back then, then the people will come back. They ain't coming back. And so, um, that's my, my, I think I, my, my biggest advice for folks often is like find a church that is practicing just ruthless honesty and secondarily uh, an openness to change an openness to pivot an openness to try new stuff that maybe just maybe be where we might, we might find God again in a whole new fresh way. Really appreciate that. One more question before we finish off the father quick five and something that you guys have kind of motivated us for is like a lot of people say like, just go there for one hour done and then i'm like what like you said earlier like what, what do i have to show for it what am i doing right no and i think you were kind of also using the analogy of like if you just work for one out for one hour of a week you think you're going to get different results like or you're going to start getting you know in better shape it's not really going to happen you always got to use it and just like spirituality there's a muscle that you got to keep on using and in the past my family and i would volunteer for x y and z but we didn't we weren't on the front lines, I guess. Maybe it was also because of the age of our kids and they were toddlers and we would like maybe help pack sandwiches, right? And you got you and your team challenged, uh, you know, the people at the Peak Church being like, all right, we're going to start a missionary program and all that. And I have found, I one of the things that you and, and the team that was leading that up were saying like, this is not about you. You're not going to, this isn't being like you thought of doing this. It was just like you working through Jesus to help others and you also learn about other people, whatever community you're helping and my wife and i my kids we were doing that we feel more connected to our you guys in the church but also too with the the values that we want our kids to do it's like you can talk the talk but if you ain't walking the walk they're going to be like yeah dad mom says give to the poor help this or that but that we're just not doing that right well, and this is not like a pattern look what i'm doing it, the, the reason why i'm saying this is because sometimes besides where they don't feel like people aren't the church isn't updated to this present day right now. Also too, that if they just go for an hour and they leave and then it goes back to normal, nothing's done. Talk about what you have seen about the importance of helping in any which way, whatever form it is, 
but just doing more than just the hour of church and how that can impact your spirituality and also how you can, you and your family can learn valuable lessons from doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, I would, I offer this advice to a lot of folks that like, if you're, if you're looking to restart faith or restart a, a spiritual life, Think of it uh, again. A, a workout regimen is pretty pretty accurate. It might break the analogy might break down at some point, but it's really good. Like you don't you're not going to see results if you work out one time a week for doesn't matter. Like it just doesn't matter how long you do it. And so similarly, whenever people are interested, I always say, hey, like give this give this three to six months, like and really give it a go. Like really give it a go and just see what your life looks like three to six months from now. I wonder. I'm not going to prescribe anything, but sometimes I say, I was like, I say, I wonder if you might start experiencing more generosity uh, towards your neighbor. I wonder if you might start experiencing more peace in your spirit. I wonder if you might start experiencing some, really some inspiration to make your life count and to stop just mailing it in as a dad and as a partner and as a, a, a worker. Like maybe it like kind of calls you attention to the fact that, man, life's so short. I want to make it count. Um, just like actually give it a real go for three to six months and just see how you feel after that. And if it does nothing positive in your life, great, then you can pitch it. And like, but sometimes I think we live in this environment also where if it doesn't change my life in one hour, one hour, in fact, I'm not even going to give you the whole hour, that 25 minute sermon better flip my whole world upside down. So I go, Dagon, man, that's a lot of pressure. And like, quite frankly, I might be speaking on something that day that the world needed to hear, but you wasn't where you were. And so uh, just remember, if you engage church, you're doing faith in community. If you want sermons and things all for you, then don't go to church. Do it all by yourself. Just click YouTube videos and watch all the sermons you want to watch. But then you're you're the only one that's informing and speaking in the direction of your life. So I would say that, I would say like really truly give it a go. And I would say uh, the other thing that for folks who are sort of, um, you know, one hour a week, it's not really doing anything. That's why I, that you know, that's why I pitched it. That's why COVID it was so easy to stop going altogether is because like I was one hour a week and I wasn't really doing anything. And quite frankly, it wasn't one hour a week, it was one hour a couple times a month because we couldn't make it every time and that sort of thing. Well, that's because we we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what church is in America. We have always thought everyone uh, thinks that church is just a place you go. When actually, if you look back in scripture, if you look at the Bible, it teaches that church is not a place you go. Church is an identity. It's who you are. Like if you sign up to be a follower of Jesus and you want to implement his teachings in your life, you are, congratulations, the church. That's like your new family name. That is who you are. And so... Church needs to be something you do beyond the four walls of that place. And it could be as simple as you are doing church when you're in your commute, listening to this podcast, and then you hang up and you spend the last 10 minutes before you go to work saying, God, I don't, I don't know what needs exist out in the world. You do, but I just want to be used by you. Uh, if there's someone who is lonely, someone who's depressed or someone who could use my help, I pray that you'll reveal them to me and you'll, you'll help me to help them. Amen. You've done church. You've done church. Uh, it is so often church is just paying better attention, getting better at paying more attention to where God is showing up all around you all the time in and through people and through nature. And so my, my best coaching is if you are someone who really wants to, like, you want to give spirituality and faith another shot, you pitched it. It didn't survive COVID. It was just kind of the thing that you weren't, you were going through the motions anyway really give it a go and expand your understanding of what church is and when church happens. Sometimes the most powerful version of church happens when I say prayers with my kids every single night and I hear them pray for things that I had no idea they were thinking about. I hear them talking to God about things I had no idea were on their heart and mind. And it's because I've tried to expand my understanding of church, that church can happen anywhere and everywhere. Jesus himself says this, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so that would be my coaching to people who are like, yeah, church, not really for me. I never really saw the value, never really saw the benefit. Well, maybe it may, maybe it's because it's the church's fault. And I, again, I'd be the first to say that's there's a very strong possibility of that. But it also might be because we have this 
such narrow, limited, small understanding of what church is and when church happens. And so let's expand it. Let's expand it to look out for and ask, where can I encounter inspiration and hope and forgiveness and joy? Think of like the fruits of the spirit, kindness, gentleness. Where can I encounter these more often in more places with more people? Love it. Well said. Thank you very much for sharing that. We're going to finish off with the father quick five. Favorite family movie. Do you guys have one? Favorite family movie. Uh, so I don't necessarily know if we have like a go-to that we watch all the time, but I will say one that we really like recently is the Mitchell is the Mitchell's versus the machines or machine yeah, yep, versus yeah. Mitchell's on Netflix. Oh my gosh. We quote that with high regularity at our home. So we love that one. Favorite band or artist or genre of music you couldn't wait to introduce your kids to? So I've been very unsuccessful in trying to convert both of my children to become Coldplay fans. <clears throat> I'm a huge Chris Martin guy. Love Coldplay. Uh, they keep calling it kind of like, they go, what, what is the cloud? Why do we have to listen to the cloudy music? It, it feels too like atmosphere. <laughs> like, because it's beautiful, wonderful artistry. That's why. So I tried. I'm really looking forward to inviting him to join the the crew with me, but my my kids are not Coldplay fans, unfortunately. Sneaky tip: you find a movie with that's a good movie you all like as it maybe get a little bit older that's got Coldplay music in it, they will probably like it. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> Describe the perfect family vacation. Where would it be? So we have had the immense benefit and blessing and privilege of being on a, of gone on a couple of Disney cruises. Quite frankly, anything involving Disney is the right way to our family's hearts. We think that they crush it on the hospitality side. We love, love them. Um, and so anything with them is great. Now, I'm not sure if you're allowed, you can edit this out. I'm not sure if you're allowed to promote Disney or whatnot. So we'll just do it this way. Um, and quite frankly, any like we actually love family cruises. Like we love family cruises where we're eating good food. There's kid activities where mom and dad can like retreat to the adult pool and like hang out and sip some, uh, some cocktails and such. Nice. And then we can also do stuff together. So like, that's the perfect, at this stage of life, my kids are eight and six. So like we want them to do like the kitty craft crazy stuff in the corner while we hang out. And then we also want to do stuff together and do excursions together. So Cruises. Yeah, no, you can promote Disney as much as you want. I, I've worked with them in the past and my family okay. and I love it. So it's all good. Um, favorite, uh, this can be a weird question, but like, again, reading the Bible here and there for school and, and you know, church and all that stuff. As for you personally, if again, kind of like this would be a great, you know, if someone wants to read the Bible in a different way or check out a different character or story, favorite unknown story or not unknown, but maybe not as much read or character that doesn't get enough love in the bible that maybe gets overlooked is who so as someone who belongs to a denomination that ordains women my encouragement would be to go and read all of the beautiful just not they're not lifted up nearly as high as enough but go and read uh, and admire the beautiful stories of the women of our faith the the amazing women who played incredible roles esther rahab Priscilla, obviously people like Mary and Sarah. There's so many beautiful, wonderful stories that if you go back and reread them, you're like, oh my gosh, this, this thing doesn't go anywhere. This movement of Jesus doesn't go anywhere. In fact, it actually doesn't. We actually don't know the news of the resurrection without these women who run back and tell the disciples. Disciples weren't there. They were like male. They like were, had no hope. They were despairing. They were having a big old pity party. And it was the women who showed up and advanced this movement further. So my encouragement, go and find some of the beautiful, wonderful stories that highlight and that exemplify how important women have been in the amazing story that unfolds in scripture. Awesome. Love it. Uh, top three words you hope your kids would use to describe you as a dad. What would you want them to be? Oh, um, I would, I really, so we've talked a lot about honesty. I hope that that is the chief word that they use to describe me. He is a very honest person. He'll always give you a very honest answer as to how he's doing, how he's feeling. So honest, um, man, I like, I hope I inspire them. I hope that they feel like I was a cheerleader that like called out of them, uh, things that they were scared to pursue or scared to act upon. So honest, I hope I inspire them. 
And I hope, I, I hope and pray that uh, they sense in me a deep, deep compassion for them, for the world. I hope that they uh, describe me as someone who, yes, love God. And I truly do. I love Jesus so much, but also uh, love people just as much. Love it. Great three words right there. People, like I said earlier, if you want to learn or look at church in different perspective, I highly suggest you go to thepeakchurch.org. Check out uh, the sermon series on YouTube. They have a great thing. And also too, uh, Julie, who's the executive director, she'll say like, just stalk out the church for a bit, see how you're doing. And even if you don't live in the North Carolina area, you can still be part of the community online. There's ways you can connect and be there. And I love the fact that the Peak Church does that. So if you're looking for a place that might be different than you're used to, check out thepeakchurch.org. Kyle, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your insight. And again, uh, I was it was really cool to have you on the show. And I wish you and your family continued success there. Thank you, Art. Thank you for the work that you're doing as well. Pleasure being here. Thanks for checking out this week's edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And also go to artoffatherhood.net. You can have a chance to check out some great articles like the weekly Dad's Doing It Right column, the Collector of the Week, and many more. Plus, you have a chance to win some very cool prizes like video games, collectibles, all that good stuff. Go to artoffatherhood.net. And please make sure you rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts because I'll greatly appreciate it to get the word out on the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.